Good morning. Uh, we are, if you've been with us, you know we're working through John, John 11. And uh, we've been kind of building up to this moment where Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Today we get to get him out of the tomb. Not us, of course, but Jesus already did it. But we didn't want to hurt, we didn't, we needed to go slow. We didn't need to hurry up to this point, even though this is like that climactic point. We needed to take our time because we needed to see that Jesus cares not only about the need itself, but our experience of what's going on around it. So he cares about our thought lives. He cares about our emotions and how we feel about things like death and suffering. Uh, But thankfully, he's got power to do something about it, and we get to see that this morning. Last week, James left it open-ended because it was. He had not yet gone to the tomb to do what he was going to do. And we needed to see that too because life is open-ended sometimes. In this instant, it was a few moments later that Jesus would actually go and get Lazarus out of the tomb. Sometimes, you know, we don't know God's timing. Sometimes it's not moments. Sometimes it's years. But, But Jesus has power to do something about our suffering. So let's go there and see in God's word uh, this powerful event. John 11, verses 38 to 44. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by now there will be an odor, for he's been, he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. It's the word of the Lord. Let's uh, go to him in prayer, asking him to lead us in this time in his word. Lord Jesus, We thank you for this this passage that we see you come in power. I pray that you would speak in power. Use your word to change us, to transform us. Speak through me, a broken vessel saved by grace alone for your glory. We do pray in your name. Amen. So what do we do with something amazing like this? Maybe we've read this passage a lot, and maybe we're familiar with it, and it's sort of the power of it is kind of numbed a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Like, stop and be like, whoa, no, he he raised a guy from death. And he had been four days dead. It wasn't like, oh, he had just gone, and like an hour later, he resuscitated him. It was four days. What do we do with that? If we believe that really happened, how does it affect us now? Um, I want to share a story that is, uh, it's a sad story, but it's also God-glorifying. We'll get there together, but it's a story that's uh, from uh, our time at Covenant Seminary. 
Uh, it was my last year. It was our last year there. And there was a new family that had moved on campus. And it was their first year. We had overlapped by a year. And we just connected really quick with them. Uh, awesome family. Uh, and he and I would meet up and pray each week together. And he was just really encouraging to me. And Michelle and his wife would get together and get the kids together to play. They came with two uh, kiddos, two little girls. And God added to their mix, added to their number while we were there. And they had another little girl. And uh, so it was a weekend where I was taking a, uh, like an intensive weekend class. It was Friday night and all day Saturday. And so Saturday morning I'm in class and I hear uh, ambulance and sirens and everything going. And it sounds nearby. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, what's going on. And a, a few minutes later, I get a text from Michelle and she said the, every, the all these rescue trucks, everybody's in front of uh, our neighbors, the next apartment building over. And at that point, I'm just totally distracted. I'm like, what is going on? I can't focus. I can't pay attention. And not long after that, uh, I got word from her that uh, my friends had woken up to their six-week-old daughter gone. No Still to this day, don't know why, what happened, what caused it. She was just gone. And it's really sad. <laughs> I, was, my, I was totally just take everything in me just churned. I felt sad. I felt confused. And I felt anger. <laughs> I was angry because I wondered, why, why did this have to happen to them? Why, did, why does this happen? And I was also, I found myself angry because I felt powerless. I couldn't do anything about it. I wanted to go to my friends and make it better. I wanted to fix it. I wanted to show up at their house and, and make everything okay, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't fix it. Of course, we know we can't fix those things. I don't share that just to share a sad story. I share it because we can all identify with the feeling of powerlessness, right? Certainly, death reminds us of that. We're powerless in the face of death. We're powerless in the face of so many difficult situations that show up in this broken world. We are powerless. We face death every day. There's always that chance. There's always someone in our lives that we know of or have heard about that's facing death. We've lost people that we love and we care about. And we feel powerless. But, but deep down... We just know that we were not built for this. We weren't made to go through all this stuff, and we know that. And, and the world might say, well, it's part of life, and it's part of the experience, and just figure out how to cope and get through it, but we weren't made for it. And Scripture tells us that we weren't made for it. It's not how it was meant to be. So I don't have to be okay with it. <laughs> you don't have to be okay with it, but if I'm not going to be okay with it, I need someone who can do something about it. And Jesus shows up. Jesus showed up in this world, and, and he shows, he's already shown us that he cares about our thought lives, about suffering and death. He cares about how we feel about it. He shares that emotion with us. We, sh we saw that last week. He cried with them. Even though he knew he was going to raise them from the dead, he still wept. Now, Jesus shows up, and he brings reality-altering power to powerless people like me and you. So what do we do with this amazingly powerful sign that Jesus performs when a friend has to bury a daughter in a casket that big? When cancer does show up? 
in our families' lives, our church families' lives, lives. When miscarriage destroys the hope of a child, when sinful patterns destroy a marriage or a family, when sin showed up at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, with our first parents, what do we do when life crumbles under our feet? What does this sign show us? Well, as we said, Jesus shows up in power, but let's look at how he shows up and how that power is actually for us. So in, in verse 38, it says, Jesus, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. So what motivated him? He was deeply moved. It's the same verb. If you remember last week, James explained it to us. And last week he wept and he was deeply moved when he saw his friends hurting and grieving over their brother. That verb, uh, if you remember last week, James explained it. Remember, it was basically also is used in other places to describe the snorting of a war horse. Jesus is, he's furious, he's angry, and it's, he's, he's preparing for battle at this point. He's going to the tomb. He, he doesn't just show up and, and weep like, oh, I, missed, I missed the opportunity to, to save him. You know, he wept real tears because he was sad. He wept with them. But then he goes ready to destroy the enemy, death itself. That's what motivates him to go to the tomb so you and I feel anger, sadness over loss and pain and suffering. But all of it infuriates no one more than Jesus himself. He feels it more strongly than any of us could because he sees us as people hurting. And he's angry at the enemy. He's angry at death. He's angry at the brokenness of this world and the sin that, that brings us to this place of brokenness. And he does something about it. You see, last week, again, was open-ended because he wept and he was angry over this death over, over a friend. And he wept and he was angry. And the people said, look how, some of them said, look how he loved his friend. He's weeping over them. But then others said, well, couldn't the, the guy who opened the eyes of a blind man, could he have not kept this guy from dying? And I don't think that was a, like a shot at Jesus or in, uh, in them antagonizing him. I think it was just a, what, why? why? Why didn't he do this? If he did that, why didn't he do this, right? We all have those questions and, one, and, and thoughts. Why, why didn't he do it? And so Jesus is motivated by all that with laser-focused fury over death and over our inability to see him for who he really is that he brings life-altering power to us. And so he shows up, and, and people may have known that he was a powerful man. They said, well, he opened the eyes of a blind man. He's, he's got power. Perhaps he's a great healer, or maybe he comes to fix our problems. But no, he came to change everything, to change everything. The one who, is, who sees our brokenness, our suffering, our sin, and our blindness, and says, I'm going to do something about not merely the symptoms of the problem, but the heart of the problem. I will not let my people suffer. I will not let them be separated from me. Do you remember in the beginning when Adam and Eve did choose life without God? They ate that fruit that basically was there a way of saying, God, I think we can figure this out without you, thanks, but we're going to do this ourselves. I'm not sure that you've got our best interest in mind. You know, that, that's what they did. But what does God do? 
came after him. He showed up. He said, where are you? And he knew where they were. He said, God. But he wanted to hear from them. And they said, well, we're hiding. We're scared. We're exposed. And then God says, I'm going to do something about this. And that's it, the rest of Scripture is the story of God winning back his people that he loves. And it culminates into Jesus coming and showing up in this world. And, and even now, as he's standing at this tomb, Lazarus's tomb, he's not long, he's not far out from actually having to go into a very similar one himself. He's, he's looking at Lazarus's tomb and he's staring down the barrel of his own death. It had to have been on his mind. He had to have known that was coming, and he did it. And he still went. He still went to his own tomb. And he caught, but but him showing up, he brings us out of death. But he had to go to it himself. He had to go to his own. And so he said with fury, it's on now. I will destroy death, and this sign will be a pointer to that. So Jesus starts giving out commands at this point. He's like, move the stone, which is interesting. We're going to come back to that one, why he asked them to move the stone. But he starts giving out commands. Uh, my, uh, my kids, my older kids, have gotten me into the Marvel movies. I never really was into the comic books as a kid. And when those movies came out early on, I, I wasn't really into them, but they've got me into it, and now I love it. And we've been watching some of the Spider-Man movies lately. And I didn't know the story from the comic books, but having watched the movies, I know now. He's the, he's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, <laughs> which means he comes and he does good things. He helps people. He fixes their problems. And he's a really nice guy. Um, and then uh, in the story, there's one point where someone murders his uncle. Right? You know, I don't know if you know the story, but that's what happens. And the, the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man goes from the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man to a vengeance-seeking assassin. He's going to hunt down and kill the guy that took his, his uncle's life. But he realizes along the way that if I actually get this, what I want, it's not really going to fix anything. It's not going to make it better. It won't bring my uncle back. It won't change what has happened. It won't change the brokenness of this world. It won't change the guy's heart. You know, we all like the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and somebody that could come in and fix the problem. But he can't really change the heart of the problem. But that's where Jesus is different. <laughs> and, and in this moment where he brings Lazarus out of the grave physically, he's really only like, he's just, he's kind of flexing a little bit. <laughs> it's just a sign of what's to come. He's just sort of like, he says, just let me show you this real quick. But you're going to see everything that it points to one day because it points to spiritual death and spiritual life and physical death and physical life all of that's wrapped up in it but it points to something far greater which really gets us to the next point jesus is glorified for our good notice again he says take away the stone right he says move the stone and martha says he's gonna stink He's going to stink. And Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So let's deal with that for a minute. The glory of God and believing and seeing it. Uh, we could see this and say, well, if, I guess if, uh, if I believe, if I have enough faith, I'll see God do something. Which that's actually a destructive perspective on faith. 
because it's not down to how strong or how great my faith is to see God actually do something. Because we have to realize that faith itself is a gift. He gives it. He opens our eyes to have the eyes of faith to see his glory. So it's not down to us to to muster up enough faith to see God's glory. So that's not it. But also, Jesus is saying the opposite of what the world says. The world says seeing is believing. But that's not always true. There's a, uh, Jesus told a parable about another Lazarus. You know that when the Lazarus, the poor man, and the rich man, right? They both die. And the rich man goes to hell. Lazarus goes to heaven and he's sitting with Abraham. He's hanging out with Abraham. And the, the rich man calls up to Abraham. He says, send Lazarus to my brothers and, and, and tell them not to do what I did so they don't end up here in torment. And Abraham says, He's, your brothers have Moses and the prophets, meaning they have my word. They have God's word. That should be sufficient because even if they saw someone raised from the dead, they wouldn't believe. <laughs> this Lazarus was raised from the dead. And a lot of people saw it, actually. And we'll see in the next week that some, many did believe, but some saw it happen, believed it happened, and went to the Pharisees and said, we got to do something about this. we got to get rid of this guy. He's powerful. So they didn't believe and know Jesus' heart, that it was for them. So seeing isn't always believing. Now, the next thing, what is God's glory? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever really tried to say, well, this is God's glory? We talk about God's glory, right? But what is it? Well, we're not going to be able to exhaust that topic this morning, but we can get at uh, bits of it. This passage does speak to it. It points to it. But we may ask that question and wonder, why does God tell us to glorify him? Is there, does he need glory? Is, there sort, is this some sort of like ego trip thing? And of course, we know that the answer in our minds, that's a no, but but we're oftentimes, we think about human glory. Man glory is all about like, hey, look at me. I did something awesome. It's a self-focused glory, right? It's like, you know, social media has, has like created a great place for us to try to seek out our own glory. You know, have you ever wondered why we have the like button on posts? <laughs> because we want people to like us. Like, I want to do something cool. I want to show something, and I want a bunch of people to like me. God doesn't need us to like him, to make him feel better about himself. He doesn't have any issues like that. His glory is upside down from how we think about it. We're, we th- glory is about self. It's focused inward. And his glory is about others. His glory is our good. His glory is our, our, our highest good and our purpose. The world offers all kinds of counterfeit Uh, opportunities for joy counterfeit sources of joy and purpose and satisfaction and they all a lot of them sound really good and they're promising they promise a lot but you ever notice they just don't really quite do it they sound good but then they always kind of leave us empty and God's saying look at me I am your greatest source of joy and satisfaction and purpose because I love you John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Maybe you've heard that before. But we will project our version of human glory on God and miss what he's actually doing. 
So this, I, I think this passage actually shows us that God's glory is Jesus' power for powerless people. So how is that power for us? Well, when I'm sad and angry and confused and don't know what to do when I show up at my friend's house who has just lost his baby girl, I need someone who can do something. <laughs> Look at verse 40, 41. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you've sent me. Okay, so Jesus, who is God, came to become one of us, right? Became a human. Jesus is the one who loved us so much that he died. So God came become, he became one of us and he died for us. Jesus is the one who was separated from his own father, suffered that. Jesus is the one who said, All, everything that is mine is now yours. Jesus said, I'm not just going to come and hang out with you. I'm actually going to put my spirit in you. I'll be that near to you. That Jesus, he's always heard by his father. He, he has perfect union and communion with his, with his father. Perfectly one. And he's for us. He's for us. He's, he's the perfect link between God and man. We could not have dreamed this up. We could not have come up with this on our own. That kind of link to God. We try. We try in all kinds of ways. We try to uh, be a good enough person. We try really hard to follow uh, the rules. There's so many, all the other religions of the world are all about following rules and teachings and, and going about this so that the God will be happy with you and you might make it in. And the God of, the scripture, of Scripture, the one true God, says, no, it's actually the other way around. I come to you. I make you mine. And I unite you with me through Jesus. I am your link, your power source. I, uh, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but uh, I, when I worked for Mayor Electric, I worked uh, for uh, six months at a, one of the Alabama power, power plants. And they, uh, I got to walk around the whole place and just see everything. I learned so much about that place. I, know, I don't know, uh, I don't understand how it all works. But they got, let me come into the, uh, the turbine room, like the main turbine room. That's where all the power's actually generated. And they said, hey, come in here and check this out. It's really cool. This is where, like, this is where it all comes from. And I was like, is, is the hair going to stand up on my head when I go in here? You know, am I going to forget who I am? Like, what's, <laughs> what's going to happen when I go in here? And they said, no, no, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And so we went in there. But it was just, and none of that happened. I was, I was okay. <laughs> but it was amazing to see the thing that was generating so much power and to think about all the houses that were connected back to that one power source. I think I looked it up later. It was uh, that one turbine powers like 800,000 homes. I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. How much more amazing is it that Jesus is the only spiritual power source? He's the spiritual power plant, and we must be united to him. We, we can't figure it out on our own. We can't make it happen on our own. I know I can't, because if when I try to do it on my own, I fail over and over and over again. I've got to be in union with him and enjoying that 
which really is kind of the next point of, 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 how God, of how Jesus manifests God's glory. He prays for us. It says that in this prayer, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. It's almost like he's saying, Father, I know we've already had this conversation about Lazarus. Like we've talked about what we're going to do here, that we're going we're gonna to raise him out of the tomb. Uh, but now I'm talking to you for everybody around so that they can hear so that they may believe that you sent me. He prays for us. He prays for you. What does that change in you to know that? That Jesus prays that we would know him. If we wrestle with feeling powerless, know that the one who is powerful prays. Do you think his prayers are effective? Yeah. I think so. Listen to this. Here's another prayer. Just a little further in John's gospel in chapter 17. It's the, known as the high priestly prayer. Go back and read the whole chapter later today. It's, it'll bless you. I'm just going to read a few verses here. But this is where Jesus is praying and his disciples are getting to hang out with him and just listen. Uh, just a couple of verses here in it. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples that were there with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Let's stop and think for a minute about how amazing that is. Jesus is saying, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Okay, so we're talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is hard to wrap our minds around, that there's three persons, one God. But, but we do understand that there's perfect union, perfect relationship, perfect love among the Trinity, right? We know that. Jesus is praying that we can have the same kind of union with God. It's as if he's saying, hey, I'm bringing you in with me. Jesus is saying, come on. I got a, I got a VIP pass for you to, to be connected with the Trinity. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about the Trinity like this. Uh, he, say, he points out that when people say God is love, they seem to not notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains more than one person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. Think about that. Love is all about being directed at another person. And so God had perfect love within himself before there was anything. And then he did make us, and he shares it with us, and he invites us into that when we are united to Christ through faith. Uh, C.S. Lewis goes on uh, to talk about how you know, if you want to be warm, you got to get close to the heat, get close to the fire. If you want joy, power, love, in its most pure form, you've got to be near or rather in the source of those things. Jesus says, come on, you're in with me. Union with Christ is everything. And that is a manifestation of, of God's glory, where his glory is for our good. It's not the way we think about human glory. It's for our ultimate good. Now, here's one more quick but powerful point, maybe the climactic point of this passage. Notice through the, uh, the text here that 
Lazarus is just referred to as the dead man. Did you notice that? It says uh, Martha, the sister of the dead man. And then actually when he comes out, the man who had died came out. Even John, the writer here, is trying to make a point that he was dead. But Jesus called him by name. He said, Lazarus, come out. Jesus hadn't forgotten. You know, we, unless we do something really, really amazingly famous, in a few generations, we will be forgotten. I mean, you think about it, a few generations back. I mean, even people who have done amazing things, like, oh, that guy did that thing 50 years ago. Who was that? You know, but Jesus doesn't forget us. He will call us by name, and we will come out of the grave if we are in him. What does that do for you? We spend our lives trying to make something of ourselves so that maybe we won't be forgotten. Jesus says, in me, you will not be. He calls us by name, and we will come out because his voice has that kind of power. Maybe today you're here, and you're hearing him call you by name for the first time. You see, this, this miracle of raising Lazarus physically from death points to the greater reality of spiritual death and spiritual life. He calls us out of spiritual death. Some are walking around this world as the walking dead because they're spiritually dead. And Jesus is calling out to them to have life. Is he calling you today? These things are displays of God's glory, and his glory is for our good. It is for us. Now, there's one more takeaway here. You remember he asked them to move the stone? You wonder, like, what is that about? If, I mean, if, if he spoke and a dead man came to life again, could he not have spoken and said, stone, move? I mean, he could have, like, had it thrown into the, the sea. Why did he ask them to move it? It doesn't actually explain the here's why I'm asking you to do this, but here's, what I, here's my take on this. I think he lets us be involved in his work. I think he wants us to be involved. He's got the power to do it. Only he can raise the dead. We can't. But he still dignifies us by letting us be a part of what he's doing. He says, move the stone. You know, uh, one of my professors used to say all the time, we want to do large things in famous ways as fast as possible. That's what we want to do. But 98% of life is the small, overlooked things that take a long time. And Jesus is saying, do those things. Do the daily things. Be a part of what I'm doing in that way. Move the stone. Move the stone. What does it mean? What does it look like to move the stone? Well, I couldn't do anything to fix my friend's experience of losing their daughter. But I could show up. And there's a lot of us that, a part of us that holds back in those times. Like, well, I don't know what to say. It's going to be really hard. And I don't know what to do. And maybe they don't want anybody bothering them right now. So maybe I'll just leave them alone. And sometimes moving the stone is showing up in somebody's life. And just being there. Maybe it's through, uh, you all know, I've done some of these tattoo interviews. And sometimes moving the stone is just sitting there and listening and saying, tell me more about that. And 
someone offloads some heavy, hard things that maybe they've never told anybody before. I can't change their heart. I can't change what happened to them. But I can move the stone, and Jesus does what he does in their lives. It's sort of like a come and see. Let's go see Jesus together. Let's go see what he's about. I can't fix this, but he's powerful over it all. But what's our objection sometimes? What was Martha's objection? He's going to stink. And, and, and by the way, we're, we're not going to knock Martha on that. Can you imagine coming and saying, and say, hey, we're going to open up your brother's uh, coffin right now. I know he's been in there four days, but it'll be all right. And you're like, no. This almost like, feels like a desecration. Like, what are we, he's going to stink. Like, well, no. We all understand what Martha's talking about here. Even though she's confessed him as, uh, as the Christ, she's like, he's going to stink. Well, there are times where if we know we are going to enter into someone's life and we're going to you know, move the stone, it may uncover messy, hard things. It might stink. And so we, we hold back because we're like, whoa, this could get messy. This could involve a lot more of me than I thought. And sometimes we think, well, gosh, this is too far gone. Like, Jesus can't do anything about this. I don't, I don't even want to open up that can of worms. Now, it could be for somebody else, but it could be for us. Sometimes Jesus is wanting us to move the stone to invite someone else into our lives to wrestle with our own sin struggles, our own mess. Maybe we've never done that with anybody before, and we know it might stink. But Jesus says, move it. Let me do what I can do, what I will do, what I want to do. Breathe life into death. Jesus is saying, move the stone. Maybe it looks like just showing up out in this community to people, sitting down with them. A lot of the, uh, you, you heard James mention the parish ministry we're gathering this afternoon. A lot of that is just sitting with folks and being with them and just keep showing up in their lives. And there's so, so often, there's so much of me that wants to like be able to do something to fix the, whatever it is that they're experiencing. And I have to Pull all that back in and say, no, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to let Jesus do what he's going to do. Let's talk about him together because <laughs> he's the one that's got power. Notice another invitation to participate at the end. So Jesus calls Lazarus out, right? And he comes out of the tomb. And I, I don't know what that looked like, but it says he was still bound up with grave cloths. I don't know if he sort of like shuffled out like this or, or what, but that. Jesus also could have spoken and had those grave cloths just disintegrated, right? And he could have walked out freely, but he, he didn't. He came out, and then he says, y'all, unbind him and let him go. Set him free. I think that's another invitation to participate. And it's sort of, I think about it this way. If someone comes to know Christ, Jesus is in a, essentially saying, church, get involved. Be in their lives. Walk with them. Untangle them from sin, from sadness, fear, depression, whatever it is that they're struggling with. Walk, be with them in it. And let's, we help each other disentangle ourselves from the remnants of death, spiritual death. We get to be involved in what Christ is doing. 
So what does that change in you? We feel powerless, but Jesus empowers us. He's like, I'm going to do the things I do, but I want you to be involved. I want you to move the stone. I'll close with this. My friends that I mentioned earlier who lost their daughter, many of us did show up in their lives, and we didn't know what to do or say, but we tried to be with them. We wept with them. We sat with them. Um, helped them plan things out like a memorial service. And I think together, it was in a sense, the church showed up and we helped move the stone. Because the service, memorial service that they had was perhaps one of the most powerful experiences of worship I've ever been a part of. They worshiped God who has power in the face of loss, the memorial service with a white casket that big, they worshiped a God who has power. And I sat there in awe, just like, how are they able to do it? How are they able to worship like that? I mean, they had tears. They were, they were, they were weeping the whole time, but they were worshiping because they had their eyes fixed on the one who has power when they felt powerless. A good pastor friend of mine says, worship is an act of defiance in the face of the power of death because we're united to and worshiping the one who is more powerful than death. We face death all day long, every day. There's the chance of it. There are people who are really facing it imminently. There are people who, have, who we've lost. And then, of course, there's all other things that are just bring suffering in all kinds of ways. We face it every day. And we suffer and we hurt and we cry and we get angry. But every day we can continue to do the daily things. We can continue to worship our Savior who has power. We can continue to rest in his word. Continue to be with each other in it. We continue to, to defy the power of death because we're united to the one who has power over it. And in so doing, we can invite others to the one who is the resurrection and the life. Lord Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. You are powerful. We are powerless. And I pray that you would show up in power uh, throughout the day today, this week, Lord, and I pray for anyone here who, who has not yet seen that power. Would you open their eyes to see you? And would you empower us to take part in your work, to move the stone, to untangle someone, and to walk with them? Lord, be power in our weakness. Be power in our powerlessness. We thank you that you are. We pray these things for your glory, which is our good. Amen.